Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki, once again here with John Mitchell. I hope you all had a great 4th of July celebration over the past week. And uh, looking forward as we get even closer to the college football season, we're diving back into season previews this week with our look at the group of five conferences. How we're going to be breaking this up this week, our first segment is going to look at the Sun Belt and the MAC. The second segment will be looking at Conference USA and the Mountain West. And our final segment will be looking at the American and then taking a look at the New Year's Six race and if anybody could have a chance at the college football playoff. Before we dive in, though, how are you doing this week, John? I'm doing great. Doing great, as always. Excited to be here with you, Zach, to talk uh, college football and previewing the season. Um, We've got a lot to discuss this week, so I'm ready to dive in. Awesome. Well, let's just, yep, dive right in. First conference we were looking at is the Sun Belt this week. Now, this is traditionally, you know, has been the weakest of the group of five conferences, has never really come close to having a chance in, you know, either the BCS Buster race back when it was the BCS days or now the New Year's Six race. Um, So with this conference, it's really a matter of regional pride and keeping that pride for these teams that all operate within, you know, the environs of the SEC and the ACC. Um, So last year, Appalachian State took the took the award, just absolutely took the conference, um, looked great doing so. And uh, the one big question mark for them is Scott Satterfield isn't there anymore. I, I really want to gauge your opinion, John. How do you think the the Mountaineers are going to do this year? I mean, I think they're still obviously the favorite. Um, obviously, Satterfield's a big loss. He was a really good coach for them, uh, but they were able to keep some continuity on that coach and staff, and it also helps when you got a guy like you got a backfield with Zach Thomas and Darrington Evans, uh, which is, to me, easily the the best backfield duo in the Sun Belt, one of the best backfield duos probably in the entire group of five. Those are both just two really talented players, and they really take advantage of their athleticism, and they're really tough. And I would say about Appalachian State, too, I think they were probably as close as any Sun Belt team has ever come to being a real contender in the group of five race. If you really look back at last season, a lot of advanced metrics like S&P Plus and all that had, had Appalachian State as a top 25 team last year. They were genuinely good you take it back all the way to the season opener last year and they took Penn State in Happy Valley to overtime I mean they had Penn State on the ropes that entire game and imagine how different the group of five race is if App State pulls off that upset yeah pull out that upset in Happy Valley to open the season and then they don't turn the ball over five or six times against Georgia Southern on the road in October they run the table, and I mean, there's a real discussion on whether it should be them or Central Florida, I think, getting that auto bid into the New Year's Six, in my opinion. But I think, I don't know how you feel about that in particular, but I think App State, I don't think they're, uh, I don't think they're going to be quite as good as they were last year, so I don't really expect that they'll be legit contenders in the Group of Five race. Uh, they don't get to open the season this year with a team like Penn State. Their one Power Five opponent this year is North Carolina on the road. And even if they win that game, it probably won't mean as much. It definitely won't mean as much as beating Penn State last year would have. But I still think they're the easy favorite in the Sun Belt. Um, 
I, I don't really see a team that there's a couple teams that have a shot, but I think App State's got to be the favorite going in. <coughs> yeah, definitely. I think there's really no discussion about who is the top dog in that league. Um, because you look at, you know, the next best team up is probably Troy. And, um, you know, they're dealing with a coaching change as well. So, you know, that really can't be what writes off App State in this race. And so I think, you know, just with the, the, the continuity, as you said, on that roster and just what they bring back, you know, projections have them as like a cusp of the top 25 team in terms of things like S&P plus projections coming into the new year. Um, I think it's like 31st that they ranked in those metrics. And so that team really has a an absolutely legitimate shot at, um, you know, making some waves this year. But I think like you said, last year was probably that prime position for them in terms of the way the schedule lined up. And, you know, if things could have flipped in those two games, it would have been a real discussion because Penn State would have been clearly the best power five victory of any group of five team in in the access bowl race um you know but at the same time i don't want to write off some of these other teams i think troy will be good again this year and you know they have they've always had the potential to make some waves we saw a couple of years ago they took down lsu they could definitely you know they've still got a good core there um not having uh, Neil Brown in place obviously makes for an interesting transition, but I, I think in general they're going to be one of those those you know noisemakers in the league as well. You could right. you could kind of look at like Georgia Southern, Arkansas State, and you know maybe the Raging Cajuns um, of Louisiana as you know maybe that second tier or like you know, a, two, a a trio of 2B kind of buttressed against Troy. But I, I I really don't see any of them, especially given the way that the, the structure of the conference title race is set up, where you have, you know, the two teams matching up in, um, you know, the conference championship game now. That one-off game really gave App State the edge last year, and I think it would probably do the same this year. Yeah, it feels like a two-horse race to me. I think App State and Troy, um, obviously they're in the the same division of the Sun Belt. So to me, you really look at the November 30th matchup at Troy. uh, That's probably the de facto Sun Belt championship game, although there will be an actual Sun Belt championship game the week after that. Um, that feels like the de facto championship game. And I, I think it's bringing up Troy is a really good point too, because, you know, the Trojans are even, you know, Neil Brown really built that program to what they were right now, but you got to figure, even if I'm not super high on Chip Lindsay taking over there, he was a pretty maligned coordinator at Auburn and was kind of the, the whipping boy there and everything. So I, I wonder how his long, how much success he'll have long term. It was kind of interesting hire. You think that, they could have maybe got someone a little bit better and, you know, maybe he'll do well, but the talent is still crazy good. there. getting Caleb Barker back at quarterback. Uh, he was fantastic last season before an injury knocked him out. Um, but I mean, Troy had a quality, they're a giant slayer. They've been what you mentioned LSU. They went to Nebraska and beat Nebraska last year. And what most people expected would to be 
Scott Frost's first win at Nebraska was when Troy came to town and they kind of spoiled that party in Lincoln. Um, and, you know, Nebraska wasn't a great team last year or anything, but that's still a hell of a, an accomplishment yeah. for a program like Troy to go to Lincoln and pull off a win over a program like Nebraska, no matter where, how you feel about it. Um, yeah, I would say Troy's really, really good. They're the team that has the best shot at dethroning Appalachian State, even if I would put them on a slightly lower tier than App State at the moment. And then I think Arkansas State has a really quality team. It'll, it really depends, though, on if they can effectively replace Justice Hansen at quarterback. It looks like Logan Bonner is going to be that guy for the Red Wolves this year. Um, obviously, Blake Anderson's proven to be a, a quality coach in the group of five ranks. So I, I think they have a shot. They're probably the favorite, um, in the West division. Yeah. Um, but like you, you mentioned Louisiana as well. They actually, they won the West last year. You mm-hmm. know, they, in Billy Napier's first year, they ended up finishing seven and seven. They, they won the, the pit division of the Sun Belt basically. Um, but also, I mean, they were pretty competitive in the Sun Belt title game against App State. That was a close game for a while until App State kind of pulled away a little bit in the fourth quarter. But they were right there at it. So, you know, and they returned 15 starters on each side of the ball or combined on both sides of the ball. So you got to you got to figure that they'll have, you know, some more experience and stuff coming into this year if they can figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, but Trey, Rag- Trey Ragus, their running backs, potentially the best running back in the Sun Belt. I mean, he's a super talented player. You're talking about a guy who rushed for 1,100 yards yeah. last year, nearly 1,200 yards last year, coming back, and they'll be able to lean on him while they break in a new quarterback. They bring back their entire offensive line. So Louisiana, I think, is a team that really can't be discounted in that division, but I don't know that either Louisiana or Arkansas State has enough juice to be able to overtake either App State or Troy, whichever one of those teams comes out of the East. Yeah, yeah, I think it really is uh, an imbalanced conference this year, like you said. Um, It's going to be a fun race in the West between Arkansas State and between Louisiana. Um, But yeah, that that, uh, matchup between Troy and App State is really the the conference championship, it seems, because that's going to determine who takes the East. Um, you could possibly see Georgia Southern, as I said, sneak in. I think they would be the one team I'd look at as a possible sleeper. But, um, you know, even then, it, it it's going to be hard to take down both Troy and and Appalachian State. So I, I, I really give it to the Mountaineers in that league. Um, and I, I think they'll be a fun one to talk about when we look at it a little bit later in terms of the the group of five race for that access bowl bid. Um, right. So it sounds like we're pretty much in agreement on the Mountaineers. Am I, am I right in assuming that? Yeah. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Georgia Southern cause I don't want to discount a team that won 10 games last year yeah. and was really one of the, and not only won 10 games, but beat Appalachian state by 20 points in October. I mean, it, it'd be a disservice to Sean Elliott's team to not, um, or not Sean Elliott's team, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Georgia State, um, Chad Lunsford's team, yeah. to really um, not talk about them. Uh, but they also had one of the country's best turnover margins last year, and a lot of things with turnovers are luck. Uh, so you can't really see that continuing for a second year. And they did a great job taking care of the ball. Shy Wirtz at quarterback really uh, managed the game effectively for them constantly. But yeah, I overall, I 
I would take Troy if Neil Brown hadn't left for yeah. West Virginia. I think this would be Troy's year. I think with that, with the turnover at both programs, just the talent-wise with App State's backfield, with that defense that was one of the best defenses even in the country last season, a lot of talent coming back. I'll take, I, I would take App State for sure, yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we're in, in concurrence on that. Um, please let us know what you think uh, in terms of Sunbelt rankings on Twitter. But we're going to move on now to the MAC. Um, shift gears from this, you know, the, the South to the Midwest. And, uh, you know, I think this is a really great, you know, sort of wide open race this year. There are a lot of teams who have good programs. They have good rosters, but there are certainly also questions around each of those rosters. You know, you look at a team like Western Michigan, and you look at the raw numbers and you see that they're absolutely loaded with experience. But those players didn't play very well, especially on defense. So, you know, you're really hoping for sort of that next evolution and development um, to have a chance to contend in that in that division. Um, you know, you also look at, at teams like um, Toledo, Northern Illinois, you know, Eastern Michigan even. Um, you know, it, it feels weird talking about Eastern Michigan in that regard, first and foremost, because they've been so bad for so long. But these teams all have, you know, solid chances and all the chips have to fall right for each of them, I think. And they have to, you know, have everything fall into place. But if it does, they could have a really special year. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the race this year in the MAC starts with Ohio. <laughs> I think Ohio is the team to beat, specifically with Nathan Rourke back at quarterback. He's the best quarterback in that conference. They've got the coaching continuity with Frank Solich. He's been there forever, uh, so it's hard to discount. They won. I mean, they won nine games last year. Uh, so they were, you know, obviously a really good team last year. They bring back a ton of defensive talent. They've got a lot of turnover on offense. They only bring back four starters on offense, but it's a lot easier uh, when you have a returning quarterback, a guy with as much experience as Rourke and as good of a player as him to kind of fill in the talent around him makes the transition a lot easier on offense when you've got a guy that's that good. Um, you know, the team last year, for most of the year, the the team that everyone paid attention to in the MAC was Buffalo. Yep. They seem to have a, be a legitimate contender even in the group of five race. And then, you know, kind of shockingly, got upset in the in the MAC title game kind of no one really saw that coming uh Northern Illinois pulling off the the upset in that game uh and then you know they lost Tyree Jackson to the NFL uh surprisingly a year early a lot of people were thinking he would come back for a senior year or even maybe explore grad transfer options so replacing him is going to be a really tall task pun intended um hmm for him. But I, you know, it's hard to discount Lance Leopold because he's won at every level he's been at at this point and has proven to be a really quality football coach. So you got to think Buffalo, you know, if they can figure out the quarterback situation still has a chance to be really good, but they also lost a lot on defense. You're talking about only returning two starters from last year defensively. Yeah. But I would say Ohio is probably the team to beat. I like that you brought up Eastern Michigan though, because they were really, Really took a big step forward last year, winning seven games, making a bowl game. Was that 
I believe, Zach, the first bowl game they'd ever played in last year or the second bowl game they'd ever played in last year. It was close. I'm going to look that up quick because, yeah, it was, was if not the first, the first in a long time. Yeah, yeah, very, very few trips for sure. And that was such a huge accomplishment uh, for Chris Creighton uh, going into now his sixth season at Eastern Michigan. He's really found his footing. And, you know, that's not a team that is going to be able – they're at a disadvantage recruiting, and it's a really tough place to win. But he's really done a good job getting this program to respectability in the MAC, And, you know, maybe – with only eight returning starters this year, it's going to be tough to replicate that, but they're definitely in a much better place now than they were when he got the job. Certainly. And before I move on, um, let's not discount the 2016 Bahamas bowl because uh, Eastern Michigan did get to play in that one as well. Um, Actually lost 24, 20 in a tight game to old dominion. Um, But yeah, you know, last year they had another tight bowl game, 23-21 loss to Georgia Southern, a really good Georgia Southern team there in the Camellia Bowl. Um, But yeah, before that, 1987 and then 1971 were their only other bowl appearances. Um, So he's got them to two bowls in the last three years after going to two since 1971. That's crazy. Exactly. So two cents forever in the program's history you know he's right. he's 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 you know doubled the number of bowl games this program has been to so really a, a, an impressive job there and i would not want to um you know i i think the big thing is is the west is a wide open race and as you said the east is one of those divisions where ohio has to be considered the front runner until further notice um you mentioned the quarterback situation at buffalo and if that gets resolved i think they could have some interesting things go on there because i do trust lance leopold um also miami of ohio has you know similar situations where if they figure out you know who's going to be the quarterback and, and they really get good quarterback play this year. They could be another one pushing Ohio in that division. But I, I, I like Frank Solich a lot. I really do think this is Ohio's year in that division. Right. I think, I think definitely Ohio, I would agree. I think one of the more interesting storylines this year in the Mac is Jim McElwain's return mm. to being a head coach after you know, a not so great tenure at Florida, but people tend to forget that he also won the Eastern Division his first two years at Florida before uh, getting let go in the middle of his third year there, and then had a really successful tenure before that in the Group of Five at, at Colorado State. So, McElwain coming back now to Central Michigan, taking over a program that's coming off a one-win campaign last year. It's not realistic to expect him to turn it around overnight. But I think he's in a more comfortable environment. I think he's more comfortable. He spent a long time um, in the you know group of five as an assistant coach years ago before getting the opportunity to go to Alabama as Nick Saban's offensive coordinator, leading a couple offenses that won national championships there, then getting the job at Colorado State, and yeah. then maybe maybe too quickly getting an opportunity at a school like Florida despite having a lot of success. Um, at the lower level, I think they were trying to replicate the the Urban Meyer um, effect in Gainesville, and then maybe it didn't work out so well. But I think he's in a more comfortable spot. He's got really good recruiting ties in that area. I don't 
look for Central Michigan to be a legitimate contender next season in the MAC, but I do look for McIlwain to ultimately have some success there and to really get the Chippewas back towards respectability in the conference uh, in a, in just a few short years. Yeah, I really like that you brought up McIlwain because honestly, and I like also that you brought up that he did lead Florida to those two divisional titles at a point when you know the West was at a and is still at a fairly preeminent point in that, that conference. Um, and so, you know, the fact that you were able to hold off teams like Georgia, it is a significant accomplishment. And I, I think he did get, you know, there were, uh, there was other swirl around the program beyond just wins and losses when he finally got the boot. But if you look at just the, the, actual numbers and what he has done on the field um i think colorado state and those first couple years at florida show that he can get it done and um i i also agree with you that being at the group of five level seems right for him it's kind of like frank solich at ohio where you know pulled off some things at you know nebraska but couldn't bring it to that same level that they were hoping for. So, you know, McIlwain pulled off some things at Florida, but could never be Urban Meyer, just like Frank Solich could never be Tom Osborne. Right. And the thing that they have to remember about Tom Osborne is it took Tom Osborne 25 years to become Tom Osborne because there were a lot of fits and starts and near misses before he finally won those three national championships in Lincoln. So, you know, on one hand, it really speaks to the fact that there's really a hair trigger on coaches these days, and the seat can be turned up to 11 like that, um, especially at a Power 5 school. And at a Group of 5 school, you do get a little bit more leeway to implement what you're trying to do and to really just mold a program. And if you're willing to stay at that level, like we saw Gary Patterson do for so many years before TCU got promoted to the Power Five and got the, you know, invited into the Big 12, um, he got to mold that program in his image. And he got the ability to have, you know, what could be considered an off-season at just about any powerhouse school, you know, an eight-win season. Oh, my. Um <laughs> But, you know, you you have the leeway to have those sort of, like, fallbacks because you know you're continuing to build up. The formula's in place. And so, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what McIlwain does the next couple years. That said, it's... Yeah, I love, the, I love the Frank Solich comparison. I think that's fantastic. You know, a guy who had similar circumstances at Nebraska and found a home in the MAC at Ohio and is really revered at that school and has built that program into the most consistent program in the conference, one of the most consistent programs in the entire group of five at this point in Ohio. Yeah. So it, you know, I, I think McElwain will have successes in central Michigan. I think they'll be better this year if nothing else. And he is a really good offensive coach and central Michigan had one of the worst offenses in the country last season. So you got to figure he'll be able to make some headway there immediately, but you know, they're not a team that's going to contend this year or anything like that. No. I think, if I'm making a pick, I think it's Ohio. I think I would take Ohio uh, to come out of the MAC, um, regardless of who they face in the MAC title game. Uh, and I don't want to discount Northern Illinois, even with a coaching change. 
everyone likes to kind of forget about the Huskies, I feel like, and then they sneak up and knock off Buffalo like last year and take the conference once again. That's just what they do, yeah. <laughs> it seems. so. Uh, but to me, I think it's Ohio. I'd probably lean towards either Toledo or Western Michigan in the West, uh, but I think Ohio is probably the team to come out of the MAC. But I think we can probably both agree that there isn't a team in this conference that's going to compete for uh, a New Year's Six berth this year. No, I think the champion is going to have at least three losses by the end, you know, uh, and that could be Ohio winning it as a 10, you know, winning their 10th game in Detroit for the MAC championship, which is awesome. But three losses as a MAC team are not going to get you in. You know, we saw, um, you know, we saw uh, Northern <laughs> Illinois pull off getting into the, a BCS game, becoming a BCS buster with one loss, becoming the first team to do that. But it, it's certainly not going to be a three-loss team that gets into the group of five this year. And I don't see any of these teams finishing the season with fewer than that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be Ohio. If I had to say I, I, it's going to be Ohio over Western Michigan, probably by a couple of touchdowns. Really foolish to mark it that early, but we're just going to put that down on tape and, and let <laughs> you all laugh at me in a couple of months about it. Hashtag old takes exposed. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, hit me up in uh, December when that goes completely sour. And uh, for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Conference USA and the Mountain West. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. Thanks for tuning in after the break. Uh, This section, we're going to be talking about Conference USA and the Mountain West. So we're just going to dive right in. And we're going to talk about Conference USA first. So, John... Conference USA looks really wide open to me this year. You know, there are a number of teams that could break out in both divisions. And I'm just wondering, is there any team that really you like most? That's, I think it's one of the more interesting races. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were mentioning, uh, talking about upcoming previews and everything that the conference USA is probably going to be one of the more interesting races, um, conference races in college football next season i think you got six teams three in each division that have legitimate shots and would not shock me if they over you know took the crown at the end of the year i think if you're looking for the first team to keep an eye on it's going to be north texas again um i think especially with mason fine back at quarterback they've got to be considered you know the favorite uh you know a lot of teams um that go through seasons like they had last year winning nine games taking the um you know coming close to a, a conference how they didn't quite win it but you know they won nine games and Seth Luttrell was one of the most highly sought after group of five coaches last season he was on everybody's radar uh seemed to be the front runner for a while for the Kansas State gig was in the running at Texas Tech even at North Carolina he was a name that was tossed around so a huge boost for the Mean Green to get Latrell to stay. You know, he ended up turning down, I believe, Kansas State. Ended up staying um, at North Texas, teaming with Mason Fine again. They should have one of the most fun offenses in the country. Um, they had the best offense in the Conference USA last year. You got to figure that probably continues. Um, and if they can be 
even middling on defense, you got to figure they're probably the team to beat in the conference USA, in my opinion. Um, and you know, they've got a shot, you know, at double digit wins and getting that conference crown. Um, but I, I still think there's five other teams in my opinion, Zach, that really have a shot and get into them more later. Who do you think's the favorite though? You know, I like North Texas, especially coming out of the West. I think they're probably the favorite in the West for sure. Um, but I also really like Marshall this year. You know, I just like what Doc Holliday does there in, in Huntington every year. That team always feels like it, it, it's it got a legitimate shot in this race. And especially in the East where it feels a lot. I, you know, I, I think both of the Florida schools, FAU and FIU, have the, the opportunity to, to push Marshall a bit. But I think it's Marshall's division to lose this year. And so I, I think um, I, I think if I had to pin my money on anybody, and it, it could be really foolish money because we've seen Marshall come into seasons highly touted and, you know, sort of implode um, for one reason or another. But I, I think if everything does fall right for this team, they're going to be the team to beat. I, I think they just have, you know have a great team. I, I think all around defense, offense, um, you know, they, they were a top 25 team defensively last year. And I think if that carries over even, you, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be quite that good this year, but I think even if they stay a top 50, top 60 team, um, it's, it's going to be enough to put them in contention for that conference. Now, whether or not that puts them into the group of five races, another question. You know, everything would have to fall perfectly for them this year. Um, but, you know, they they're you know they got great play at the end of the season last year, and I think that coming into this year, it's going to be um, a benefit for them as they continue to grow as a team. They're also challenging themselves at a conference, so they're going to be really battle tested when you get into the Conference USA play, race. You're talking about it too. They're going all the way across the country to play at Boise State in Week Two. Yep. They play Cincinnati at home in September, so they don't have any Power Five opponents on their uh, on the docket this year. But I mean, those are two quality, two of the best Group of Five teams, and they're you know ramping up to play both of them. So you got to figure they'll be battle tested. I think it all comes down to Marshall whether the development of Isaiah green at quarterback. He was one of the better freshman quarterbacks in the nation last year, but he struggled with stuff that freshman quarterbacks not named Trevor Lawrence struggle with in terms of his consistency with turnovers and stuff like that. So if he can really take that next step, then yeah, I I think Marshall's got a really good shot at, at competing for the conference USA crown. I, I think it's funny though, because it feels once again, like everybody (laughs) just continues to forget about UAB mm. every year. I mean, UAB was, you know, coming off of um, an eight-win year in 2017 that kind of shocked the nation in their first year back from the program being shut down. And then once again, coming into last year, they were kind of the forgotten team on the Conference USA. No one was really picking them in the preseason. And then they come out and won 11 games, take the conference crown by beating Middle Tennessee State in the conference title game. And they return a lot of talent again. I mean, they, they've got some holes specifically on the offensive line to fill, but Spencer Brown is arguably 
the best running back in the conference, maybe arguably one of the best running backs in the entire country. He's a workhorse they'll be able to lean on. Um, at quarterback, Tyler Johnston showed a lot of um, potential last year when he came in for A.J. Erdely when he was injured, and now Erdely's gone, and Johnson's taken the reins. So I think UAB is kind of tough to discount as well. I think I would probably lean and agree that Marshall is a slight favorite in the West, but I think UAB is a team that's still going to be there. You can't discount Bill Clark, what he's been able to do in Birmingham. He's been just exceeding all expectations. And then I also well, really like Southern hold, Miss. Hold on a second. Um, let me just uh, clarify something there. UAB is in the West. You said them going up against Marshall. Oh, did I say Marshall? Yeah. So, oh, I'm sorry. So I meant North, North Texas. Texas. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure we had that clear. Yes, apologies. North Texas, UAB. Um, North Texas, I think, is the favorite in the entire conference, but I wouldn't discount UAB. And then I really like Southern Miss in mm. the West as well. You're, they've got a lot of talent coming back. Jack Abraham's a really underrated quarterback. A lot of talent at the skill positions. Four starters back on the offensive line. Um, and, you know, Southern Miss was really competitive last year. They went 6-5, and five, but, you know, they pulled, pushed UAB to overtime. Um they lost a close game at Charlotte. They lost a close game against Louisiana Monroe. They were competitive at Auburn even. So I think Southern Miss has a shot in Jay Hopson's fourth year there to really potentially steal the Western division from North Texas or UAB. But I do think North Texas still has to be the favorite over there. And then getting back to the East, Marshall, um, I think one of the more interesting storylines in the East is what Lane Kiffin has in store mm. for year three at Florida Atlantic because, you know, he kind of burst on the scene in year one in 2017. They won 11 games, kind of easily dominated the Conference USA, winning the conference, and a lot was expected. They were kind of viewed as the easy favorite coming into last season, and a lot of people even thought they had a, a – maybe foolishly thought they had a shot to – put a scare into Oklahoma in the opener last year. And then Oklahoma just bludgeoned them in Norman as, you know, was, should have been probably expected with the talent gap at those two schools, as much as good of schemes as Kiffin can have, you can't really scheme against that level of talent. Uh, but you know, they also fell all the way to five and seven last year, which is a really big disappointment. So what does Kiffin have in store this season? Can he get Florida Atlantic back? toward the top of the conference USA, at least towards bowl eligibility. Um, so he can, you know, potentially get his star rising again to potentially get a bigger job down the line. I think eight wins is necessary for Kiffin this year. And, and I think those eight wins have to come before bowl season. Um, I think if they're not eight and four heading into, into the postseason he's got a real chance of, of seeing the fire under him. And uh, it's interesting to think about because, you know, I said in the last segment that you get a little bit more leeway at group of five schools, but we've also seen the Florida schools in conference USA um, very quick to pull the plug on a coach. You know, we saw the same thing with Mario Cristobal at their neighbor FIU, uh, was that eight years ago now um it seems like just 
another lifetime ago at this point, given what's happened in his trajectory since. But, you know, that was really a big, big turning point. And we, we saw there in terms of not expecting mediocre or not accepting mediocre. And so I think that team has to get to a bowl game and they have to do it at least challenging for the East. Um, that said, I still think Marshall was the team to beat there. You know, you mentioned Green and his continued development. You just look at the way the quarterback play went last year for Marshall. And when he got injured midseason, it just torpedoed. It absolutely sunk. I think they dropped like 30 points in quarterback rating. Um, and, and that said, you know, Green was never out of this world. He's not a Trevor Lawrence. He's not a Tua Tagovailoa. He's, that's not the kind of player you're going to get at a group of five school. Um, but he did show real promise and the team responded a lot better when he was on the field than when he was off the field, especially when he came back at the end of the season and you saw him, you know, really ramp up his completion rating from where it was at the beginning of the season during that first stretch. And, you know, added more yards per completion, you know, just overall was showing better quarterback play. And I think if that carries into this year, Marshall has a high enough ceiling because, like you said, they're not testing themselves necessarily against Power 5 competition, but they're looking to pick off a couple of big contenders in the Group of 5 race that they would be directly up against. You know, you have those elimination games in Boise State and Cincinnati that are are going to be really critical for them to win both of them to have any bigger chance in that race. But at least at the conference USA level, I see them as the team to beat as volatile as they are. I think Marshall's probably got the highest floor of a team in the Eastern division. Um, I think, I think Florida Atlantic probably has the highest ceiling if things kind of come together for them. I don't think Kiffin's on the chopping block, though. I really don't. Uh, regardless, I think they could win three games next year, and just the memory of that 11-win season and Conference USA title, I think, will carry him for several more years. I mean, they signed him to a 10-year contract extension, upped his buyout pretty heavily, and that's usually something that's maybe not as significant for a program like a USC or someone like that to let a guy like Kiffin go, but very significant for a program like Florida Atlantic. Uh, but I, I, Florida Atlantic still has a ton of talent. They've got he's done really well on the transfer market, bringing in guys that you know are very very talented guys who you know had problems at their previous stops. They also have a receiver on their team named John Mitchell, so that's kind of that's kind of fun. So I think I like ob, like out of obligation, I have to cheer for um, my interdimensional self i guess there like so we're gonna go with that so i i do think i think i would still lean towards marshall though as as the safe pick in the east north texas and the west and maybe that's boring uh because those are probably the two favorites in the division but i would take marshall against north texas for the title and i would take north texas just because of mason fines um experience and just that offense i think that would be a really fun game um, and would really get our money's worth watching those teams go at it for the conference crown. Certainly a lot of green on the field, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's 
probably where I would lean in terms of what the title game is going to be. You know, I think that's the way the divisions will shake out the mean green in the, the West, uh, the thundering herd in the East. And I'll pick Marshall. I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, we, we might as well have some disagreement in this podcast, right? Absolutely. That's fair. Awesome. Well, you know, with that said, I think that covers conference USA pretty well. Um, So we're going to move on next to the Mountain West, um, which has been, you know, the purview of Boise State, even when Boise State hasn't been the best team in the conference. So, you know, I think that's honestly probably where the discussion begins. Can Boise State get back to big enough prominence to contend for an access bowl bid? Right, yeah. Uh, Boise State's definitely the team to beat in the mountain, or the, at least the team where the conversation has to start. I don't want to go so far as to say they're the team to beat because I think the Mountain West has really become a really deep league. I think it's been right on par. You know, everyone talks about the American and for good reason, uh, but I think the Mountain West, the last couple of years at least, has really been on par with the American in terms of conference quality in depth when you look at teams like Boise State, Fresno State, Utah State, all these teams that have really, you know, risen the ranks. Um, And obviously Boise State has been so consistent and so good now for so many years that they're kind of the flagship group of five team even still today, even with Central Florida success the last couple of years I think really the group of five conversation has to start with Boise State just because of what they've been doing for more than a decade now. They've kind of been carrying that flag, but it's going to be a different kind of year for Boise State. I mean, they were really good last year. They didn't. They came up short um, in the conference title game to Fresno State, uh, in a really good conference championship game that really showed uh, how good this league was. But you know, Brett Rippon's gone at quarterback, and that's going to be really tough to replace. They have a lot of talent elsewhere, though. I mean, defensively, Boise State was, you know, top 40 defense last year, and they've got eight guys back on the that side of the ball. So if they can figure out the quarterback situation, you know, whether it's Chase Court or whoever that takes over at quarterback for the Broncos this season, if they can figure that out, they've got more talent than probably anybody else because a lot of the other Programs are going through some pretty significant changes as well. Like, you know, Fresno State won the league last year, but they lost Marcus McMarion. You know, obviously Jeff Tedford's done really well in his two years back at Fresno at his alma mater, uh, but they've got the quarterback to replace as well. They were really good defensively last year, too. And then obviously Utah State um, losing, you know, going back to the well, bringing Gary Anderson back. I know we talked about that. Uh, You and I at least personally have talked about that before and kind of how surprising of a move that was after what happened with him um, at Oregon State, bringing him back in with Matt Wells going to Lubbock to take over Texas Tech. But Utah State's got the advantage that they do bring back their quarterback. Jordan Love's got to be considered the top signal caller in the Mountain West. But they lost a ton of guys around them. They only bring back one other starter on offense this season. So it'll be... I think it'll be a challenge for Utah State to get back to that 11-win plateau that they did last year. But Utah State, like, the the Mountain West flexed their muscles in the bowl game. You look at what they did uh, in the New Mexico Bowl, just destroying North Texas. A really quality—we talked about in the last segment—a really quality 
North Texas team 52 to 13. I mean, just walloping them. Uh, despite the fact that North Texas had just got had the high of knowing that Seth Luttrell was coming back, Utah State had already lost Matt Wells. So that was really interesting. Most people were picking North Texas for that reason. Yep. So I, I think that's a, I still think it's a three team race in the Mountain West. Uh, between Boise State and Utah State in the mountain, and then Fresno State's probably still the favorite in the West. Uh, I don't, I don't want to discount teams like San Diego State or anything, but to me, those are the three teams still this year. I, I think that's fair. I think they're probably the strongest teams, and I'm glad you bring up Jordan Love because I really do think he is the premier signal caller at this point in the league with Rippin and with McMarion going. Um, you know, moving on from their eligibility. I think that's going to lead to some interesting transitions. Um, I think the interesting thing to look at is um, how soon will we see Hank Bachmeyer at Boise State? You know, a four-star recruit at quarterback coming to a place like Boise State is always an interesting uh, storyline. And so I, I think he's going to see the field sooner rather than later. You know, you mentioned Chase Cord. They also had Jalen Henderson, the former UTSA signing, coming there. He's, you know, he's coming there as a senior. He's got the opportunity to take that role. But honestly, I think it's going to be Bachmeyer that sees the field sooner rather than later. Because part of what Boise State has always done really well is, is lock in on a young quarterback and then mold them for four years. You know, we've, right. we've seen that all across the board from Kellen Moore to to Brett Rippon to, you know, they they have that knack for locking in and getting a really great recruit right when they need him next and plugging him right in. And so, yeah, I think Boise State is still the favorite there. I think they were the favorite last year even. You know, they had the snake-bitten overtime game, and that's sort of Boise State's history as much as being a dominant team as they have been. They could have played in two or three more BCS Bowls if it had not been for one just really hard loss that completely knocked right. them out. And before Northern Illinois sort of broke that, broke that mold of allowing for a one-loss team to get into a BCS bowl game as a non-AQ team. You know, I think several of those Boise State teams probably should have and absolutely deserved getting to play in one of those big games as a, an 11-1 whack champion, but just never got the chance because they, you know, lost to, you know, like a good Nevada team with Colin Kaepernick you know, leading the charge, things like that just bit them. And so they need that not to happen this year. There's a whole, you know, that's the reason why we saw them in the inaugural access bowl bid once it shifted over to the college football playoff, you know, and got in as a two loss team ahead of Marshall, who we talked about in the last segment in this section. And in the end, yeah, I think that's really the team to beat. Fresno State, as you said, they've got enough question marks of their own, um, and they don't have a four-star recruit to plug in and at least try out. You know, Utah State is going back to Gary Anderson. I think, honestly, Gary Anderson was always a great fit at Utah State. He was a weird fit at Wisconsin. He was a, you know, he seemed like a better fit at Oregon State, but could never make it work for him there. Um. And Utah State is just right up his alley. You know, that's home. And I think, you know, we talked about 
group of five coaches and guys who are just sort of built to be group of five coaches. If anyone fits that mold, it's Gary Anderson. And you just wonder what, you know, the course of college football history would have looked like if he never would have taken that Wisconsin job. And if he just stayed at Utah state that whole time and where would Matt Wells be right now? Would he still be the offensive coordinator there under Gary Anderson, just molding an absolute dynasty and loving it in Logan? It's a great question, Mark. Obviously something we can never answer, but I think, you know, I, I've written recently on the site about, you know, coaches who come back for a second go. Um, I think I called it the Grover Cleveland All-Stars of of college football right. head coaching where you know you you have non-consecutive tenure i think of he's got the real potential especially with a good team in his first season back there in logan to to turn some heads but until further notice it's got to be boise state in that conference they always just pull too much more talent than the rest of the conference they're consistently number one in the recruiting rankings in that league because they have the name brand recognition that no other school can boast in the mountain west i think there's some other interesting teams too specifically in the west there's a few teams i think could really be sleepers in the whole conference i i think would be remiss if we didn't talk about hawaii a little bit um nick rolovich has really got hawaii back to having that kind of that kind of Hawaii swagger that June Jones June Jones Hawaii teams always had where you knew you know if you were playing Hawaii you were in for a fight because they were going to throw the ball 75 times a game and they were never really out of it because they could score so quickly um and in so many bunches um the problem for them last year they won eight games the problem is their defense was just terrible I mean you're talking about a defense that ranked in the hundreds in most categories uh, which, you know, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing that they return nine starters on defense. You never really know when you have a defense as bad as the Rainbow Warriors had last yeah. year if returning that many starters is actually a good thing. But in the very least, they have plenty of experience. Um, but Cole McDonald would probably be mad at me saying that Jordan Lowe, uh, Love was the best quarterback in the conference. He would probably have an issue with that because he was – you know, outstanding last year, threw yeah. for nearly 4,000 yards, 36 touchdowns, has two high-quality receivers and Cedric Bird and JoJo Ward to distribute the ball to. So Hawaii is a team, I think, that could really sneak up on some people um, and really compete, um, potentially compete um, in the conference. They have the disadvantage of having to play at Boise State, uh, which, you know, makes it tough. But they do draw Fresno State, who's probably their primary competition in the Western division, they draw them at home. Um, and obviously Hawaii has one of the greatest home field advantages oh, yeah. in the country. And then they're really going to be battle tested at a conference. So Hawaii opens the season against Arizona, Oregon state, and then goes to Washington, uh, to open the season. So they really challenge themselves out of conference. They also play army at the end of the season. So they really challenge themselves out of conference. You can never really complain about what Hawaii does in terms of their out-of-conference schedule. And that's really a schedule that if they were somehow able to to maybe win 10 to 11 games, you would have to think that'd be a possible contender in the group of five race. I don't think they're going to be good enough to do that. But with a schedule, that's the kind of schedule you need to potentially, like you said, Zach, survive maybe a loss somewhere along the way yeah. and still have a shot to, to really get in. Uh, to the to the New Year's Six. So I think Hawaii is a really interesting team. I'm really fascinated to see 
what Jay Norvell does with Nevada next season. They were a much improved team uh, last year, winning eight games. It'll be interesting to see if they can build on that. And then the clock's ticking on Tony Sanchez at UNLV. I think he's made some waves recruiting. I think Armani Rogers is a really good quarterback, really talented, dual threat kind of player. So I'm interested to see if they're able to take a step forward as well. But I really am fascinated with the Mountain West as a whole. I think it's a really deep league with a lot of quality football teams. Certainly. I'm glad you brought up those teams in the West because with Fresno State transitioning to life after McMarion and, you know, Jeff Tedford having to figure out what he's going to do now that he doesn't have this really solid transfer quarterback at his disposal, it does open the door for a team like Hawaii. I think it's a really great point that you bring up there because Cole McDonald is an incredible quarterback. I would still give the lead to love on that but mcdonald has certainly shown that he can do it and he can do it in a lot of different situations and they and they do set up a really great schedule this year you know i think it's possible they could go two and one in against the pac-12 um beating washington is always going to be hard but oregon state is a possible takedown and arizona is a team that You know, we've talked about in a couple of different podcasts in terms of bringing back Khalil Tate and what's going to happen next under Kevin Sumlin in year two. And I still think they're a team in transition. Things could really go one of two ways for Arizona this year. You know, they could either run the table in the Pac-12 South or they could be another sub-500 team and we see Kevin Sumlin on the hot seat coming into 2020. Um, you know, sort of wasting Khalil Tate's last year. And it might not even be a waste. We've seen Khalil Tate dealing with a lot of, you know, ankle injuries especially and dealing with a lot of just general injury problems. And I think um, if anything like that comes up again, Arizona sort of goes back up in flames. And that gives Hawaii a great chance in this game just because of the the volatile swirl around Arizona this year and, you know, the high ceiling, low floor for them. No, I think that's a great point. But Hawaii is an interesting case. I'd also be remiss, Zach, if I didn't ask you if we didn't at least touch on Wyoming, your Cowboys. How are they looking this year? What do you think their kind of ceiling and floor is? I'm always hesitant to pick them as a, a favorite in the mountain because you have Boise State there, and especially because you have a team like Utah State there this year. But, you know, they've done really great in terms of developing in the past couple of years. I think a bowl appearance is completely within reach for this Pokes team this year. I'd say maybe the ceiling is eight wins, nine wins. You know, something to continue building upon. And obviously the floor is missing out on a bowl game, you know, having a couple of breaks not go their way. I think they're going to be close in any of the losses that they they come to, or at least most of the losses that that they might take along the way. But I I think it's going to come down to how things break in a couple of, of key games in their conference schedule. So yeah, I'd say the ceiling is probably probably nine wins. The floor is probably four. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just wanted to wanted to make sure we got them in. I knew you'd have something oh, you'd want to talk about with them. So I think that pretty much wraps up what I wanted to say about the Mountain West. So in terms of a pick, 
I say Boise State in the Mountain because I'm boring, but I am going to be a little more exciting in the West because I'm going to take Hawaii in the West uh, to kind of surprise and take down Fresno State and San Diego State um, and steal the Western Division. But I still think Boise State then beats Hawaii for the second time um, that season in the Mountain West Championship game, and Boise State comes out on top. Honestly, you might have talked me into this pick, John. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm liking Hawaii more and more the more I think about them this season and the way individual games line up on their schedule, just sort of the game by game of it. And so, you know, if things do break their way and because Fresno State has those shakeups, I think they got a real shot in the West. In the end, it's going to be Boise State taking that conference this year, especially because the West is both wide open, you know, with some some teams with real potential, but also real question marks. So, you know, I think those question marks sort of offset the question marks you have with Boise State coming into this season, and that that sets up the Broncos as one of those teams that's going to line up in the, the group of five race. But we're going to talk about that race next segment. So we're going to take a quick break, everybody. And when we're back, we're going to touch on the last group of five conference, the American Athletic Conference. And then we will dive into our picks for the New Year's Six. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody, for our final segment of our group of five preview leading up to the 2019 college football season. This segment, we're going to be looking at the American, specifically the American Athletic Conference, which has been the purview of UCF in recent years. And then we're going to be diving into our deeper look at, you know, who might come out on top in the group of fives race for that key access point into the New Year's Six. First, though, we need to look at the American Athletic Conference. This league has obviously been UCF's purview in the past few years. They've pretty much dominated, but at the same time, they've been pushed. You know, we've seen Memphis play them tough in recent years. Two years ago, the war on I-4 was basically a play-in game for the the New Year's Six when it was UCF and South Florida playing one another um, with that shot to play for the AAC championship. Um, And, you know, we've seen teams like Houston rise up, Navy rise up in recent years. Um, probably not going to be UConn's year, I don't think, um, as we've talked about in recent podcasts. But I think this is a great race to sort of finish up what we're talking about here in terms of looking at um, our group of five previews. UCF obviously looks like the favorite once again in this conference. When you've gone undefeated in the regular season, two seasons straight, you're kind of the king of the mountain until you get toppled. But, you know, mentioning these other teams that have been really good in the American in recent years, we see that it could really be a good race again this year. So um, I guess my first question to you is, who do you think is the team that's most likely to push UCF this season, John? It's a good question. And you mentioned UCF did get pushed last year. Like you said, you know, Memphis has really been on the cusp of overtaking Central Florida and kind of frustratingly close. Um, And then Temple really gave UCF a scare last season too, really played them really tight. Uh, So I think in their own division, I think Cincinnati is a team that has a really good shot. I think Luke Fickle's done 
a lot of good things at Cincinnati. They won 11 games last year, um, culminating in a military bowl win over Virginia Tech. They, you know, UCF still was able to beat them pretty handily last year, but Cincinnati gets the advantage this year of getting UCF in the Queen City, so they get them at Nippert. Cincinnati gets them at home. So, And the Bearcats return seven starters on offense, seven starters on defense. They were the best team defensively in the American by a decent margin last year, uh, and that's always been Fickle's calling card has been defense. So they're really loaded again on defense. And then offensively, when you've got – Desmond Ritter at quarterback and Michael Warren at running back. That's one of the best backfields in the entire country, regardless of which conference you're talking about. So I think Cincinnati not only has a shot, I think they're going to overtake Central Florida this year in the American. So there's my bold prediction early on in the American preview is I like Cincinnati a lot this year. I think with them, especially, I think if I think it's a toss up and I think if Central Florida had home field, against Cincinnati in the regular season that probably leaned them. But I think it all comes down to that game. And with Cincinnati having home field, I think the Bearcats are going to upset Central Florida this year. Wow. I, you know, I, I like the boldness in that. I don't know if I would jump quite that far, but I think Cincinnati has a really great team this year. You know, they had a huge burst last year under Fickle, you know, getting to 11 wins was a huge accomplishment for a team with, you know, once proud tradition, we look at where they were in sort of those last years of the Big East, you know, thinking back to like the 2009 season when they were right there in the thick of it as one of those, you know, five undefeated teams that came to the end of the season. And they sort of got lumped in with the TCU and Boise State, you know, mix. And lo and behold, they're right there among Boise State, but now TCU is bolted up. So we've seen that shuffling in the ranks, but, you know, Cincinnati has been good in the past. They've had great coaches in the past, um, and I, I think this year could be another great year for them bursting forward as as Fickle sort of makes his name there with the Bearcats. At the same time, I do love what Josh Heupel is doing with the Knights. I think... Um, you know, whichever quarterback ends up taking the starting role, whether it's Daryl Mack or it's Brandon Wimbush, they've got great pieces in place. You know, they're a team that's been consistently beginning to recruit better and better. And I don't think they're ever going to fall that far out of the mix. We're not going to see another 0-12 season anytime soon from a Knights team, which, you know, seems like ages ago, but really wasn't that long ago. And um, so never say never, but I I don't think it's going to happen anytime in the next five years. You know, that said, I don't know that the best team is going to be coming out of the East this year because Memphis still, you know, even though they've lost some some key pieces, Memphis is still just a really loaded team. And I'd be, you know, I think they're going to be the favorite in the West this year as they have been the past couple years. And I think this might be their year to sort of summit that mountain. I think the one question mark is whether or not it'll be UCF at that last hurdle that they get to overtake finally, or as you said, it'll be Cincinnati that sort of swoops in and takes that shot. Yeah, I think circling back for a minute in the East with Central Florida, I think what concerns me is I don't think they have as big of a margin for error with Mackenzie Milton out for presumably for the year. 
I think their margin for error really diminishes with it, whether it's Wimbush or Mack at quarterback. And, you know, obviously Wimbush has the experience as a starter at Notre Dame, but he lost that job at Notre Dame for a reason. Um, and then Mack, you know, a really talented runner, but it remains to be seen whether or not he's effective enough as a passer to really provide the balance they need, particularly with the defense that, I'll just flat out say it was bad last year. Central Florida was bad defensively last year, and that really held them back from being quite as good as they were the year before um, in Scott Frost's last season. They were 95th total defense in the country last season. They were just a sieve against the run. They gave up 222 yards per game on the ground, and that really hurts you when you look at the competition you're going against. When you face a Cincinnati team, that's so effective on the ground. And then Memphis, even with uh, Daryl Henderson gone on the other side of the conference, they still have a ton of talent on the ground with Patrick Taylor um, and then an experienced quarterback in Brady Brady White. And like you said, Memphis has a ton of returning talent otherwise as well. So I think both Memphis and Cincinnati are kind of circling the waters like sharks. And they probably view this year with, you know, Milton probably out for the year and with him most likely returning in 2020, this is the year to get central Florida. This is the year to take the conference away and potentially grab that bid to the new year six and, you know, leave uh, central Florida out on the cold. I think this is the year. Uh, I think we also have to mention Houston if for nothing else and how fascinating it's going to be to see Dana Holgerson teaming up with De'Eric King. They're going to be a lot of fun, if yeah. nothing else. They already had one of the best offenses in the country last year. Uh, you got to think they'll probably even take a step forward this year with as much talent they have at receiver with a guy like King at quarterback, as talented as he is, and with an offensive coach like Holgerson who knows how to put points on the board. The problem for the Cougars, again, is going to be they were terrible defensively last year. I talked about Central Florida being bad. Houston was even worse. They were one of the worst defenses in the country, just consistently getting pillaged game after game after game. So I don't know if Holgerson's going to be able to make enough improvements on the defensive side of the ball there um, this year to really make Houston a legitimate contender in the American, but they're certainly going to be one of the more fascinating teams to watch. So you're saying it might actually be a good thing that it's nearly a blank slate on defense in Houston, you know? Um, Yes. You know, they're 126th out of the 130 FBS teams in terms of returning defensive production. And um, yes, that is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, we talked about it with other teams in other segments, looking at other conferences in the group of five, And, um, you know, you can have a lot of returning talent, but if it's really bad returning talent, how far is that going to take you? You're really depending on the next evolution. And I think in Houston's situation, it might be a really good thing that it's a next man up situation rather than hoping for an evolution in talent that just hasn't gotten it done. Right. When you rank 127th, in total defense the year before, it's probably good that you're 126 in returning production the next year because that production wasn't really getting it done. Um, so, yeah, I, I think obviously Houston's still going to be a good team and they're still going to be competitive, if nothing else, and fun to watch because of Holgerson. I also am really interested to see what happens at South Florida this year. We talked about this uh, several weeks ago on the podcast. Um, 
just Charlie Strong and what kind of happened to South Florida last year after such a promising start. They started seven and zero, yeah, and then lost six straight to finish the year, and all six of those losses were by double digits, so yeah. they weren't even really that competitive in those six defeats. You know, and they had some injuries to deal with. Blake Barnett struggled to stay healthy last season. That hurt. But the big issue with South Florida, again, was on defense. And that's something that's kind of strange when you look at a guy like Charlie Strong, who's always, his calling card has always been that side of the ball. But you would think even with a, a lack of talent defensively, that a guy like Strong with such a strong defensive background would be able to scheme better defense than they had last year. They gave up 247 yards on the ground last year per game. Um, which isn't sustainable for a program that really fancies itself as Central Florida's equal. They want the war on I-4 every year to be what decides not just the uh, the Eastern Division, but probably what decides a New Year's Six birth. Like you said, that was a potential play-in game for that in 2017. They want that every single year at South Florida. And if Charlie Strong's not the guy to get that done, as big of a name as he was to pull at South Florida and as much success as he had at Louisville before um, the struggles at Texas, they'll go somewhere else. He's a guy who's got to win. He's got to get things going. They can't have another year where they lose six consecutive games. Or Charlie Strong could find himself pretty quickly on the hot seat, which I know would be kind of a big surprise after they won 11 games his first year there. But Quentin Flowers isn't walking back through that door in Tampa. No. So he's got to get things figured out, and he's got to do it this year, and they've got to be more competitive. I completely agree. And that's the thing is, you know, as much as we talk about how you can recruit at a group of five level, South Florida should be one of those teams that is recruiting at a premier level. You're in a very talent-rich state where plenty of really good three-star talents fall through the cracks and don't go to one of the big three schools in the conference or in this in the state. And, you know, UCF is beginning to pull more of those players and South Florida needs to do the same. It's, you know, there shouldn't be a talent gap between those two schools at all. You know, it's just like looking at there shouldn't be a talent gap between a Miami and Florida State. It just shouldn't exist. And in the same way, there shouldn't be a talent gap on either side of the ball at a place like South Florida versus UCF. This year is really pivotal for Strong, and given the fact that he's got not just UCF, but a Cincinnati team that, you know, is, you know, returning, uh, you know, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I think they're in the top 40s in the country in terms of returning talent for both offense and defense, and that is going to make a huge difference. Uh, you know, even vis-a-vis playing UCF, they just have a lot more players that have gotten it done on the field before. And 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 specifically, like you said, done it in that uniform. You know, with somebody like Brandon Wimbush coming in, he's learning a new scheme. You know, what Josh Heupel does with the football on offense is completely different than what Brian Kelly and his coordinators are going to do with that. So... I think that's a really critical thing to keep in mind as well. While I do like UCF, uh, you know, I like I said, until further notice, they're that team to beat. And until, you know, further notice, you know, until the next group of five team does it against them, they're at the pinnacle. 
it, there are a lot of teams that can swoop in this year. I, I, I still think Memphis is probably the team that's going to do it, but I think they're going to get to do it against UCF for a third straight year, and they're finally going to pull off the win. Oh, man. So we're both picking against the Knights in the in the American this year. That's that's pretty great. That's Look at us going out on a limb after we were kind of chalk on the other conferences. But I, I like Memphis in the West, but I like Cincinnati in the East, and I actually like Cincinnati to take down Memphis and, and win the American. So I'm going with the Bearcats. Bold. I like it. So with that said, we've got, you know, the, the teams that we've picked for the various conferences, which one has the best chance of getting into a New Year's Six Bowl game, John? I think it all comes down again to the American and the Mountain West. Those are the two conferences that are going to have the best shot at putting their champion into the New Year's Six. I would lean towards, I think, the American uh, just because of you know recent history and everything. And Cincinnati's got a great shot um, out of conference as well because they opened with UCLA at home. Uh, they went to UCLA and beat the Bruins last year. So if they can get a win over UCLA, a UCLA team that I do expect to be better this year in Chip Kelly's second season. Yeah. So if they can open the year and get a quality win early on against UCLA, they go to Ohio State in week two, which is going to be, I think, a really good football game. The really big first test for the for Ryan Day with the Buckeyes and his first season as, as the head coach. That'll be a fascinating game. If Cincinnati can even be really, if they can be competitive in that game, they don't have to go to the horseshoe and pull out the big upset. But if they can keep that game competitive, I think that'll be in everyone's minds all year, especially if they can beat UCLA if they're competitive against Ohio State and then they can maybe run the table the rest of the year, go 11 and 1 and then win a 12th game in the uh in the American title game against Memphis or, or whoever it ends up being, I think Cincinnati would be the easy choice at that point, uh barring, you know, Boise State didn't run the table or Hawaii didn't run the table with that really loaded out of conference slate that includes the three Power 5, the three Pac-12 teams to open the year and Army at the end of the season too. Uh, don't want to forget that. But I think Cincinnati would be the team if I was picking the the group of five team uh, to make the New Year's Six. At this point, I would say Cincinnati. You know, I think that's a fair pick. I think whoever comes out as the American champion has been a fair pick in recent years. Like I said, they've done it in three of the past five or three of the first five, as it were. And it's going to be really tough to unseat them at this point. Now, with that said, um, I think Boise State probably has the best chance of doing that. If they don't get another one of these hiccups along the way and they're able to actually run the table, especially with Florida State opening the season in Jacksonville, right. um, I, I think that gives the Broncos a really great signature win as long as they get the job done against the Seminoles. And frankly, I think that's a toss up game, even if it is happening on the opposite side of the country versus, you know, sort of in Florida state's backyard. So with that, I think Boise state is probably the team I'm going to pick. They get back to another new year six game, you know, for the first time in five years. Uh, and I think that they, you know, I think in that really comes down to the nature that the American is going to be a league that kind of beats itself up more this year. I think, I think Boise sure. state has a good path in the mountain West. Um, 
as long as they can stay on track and as long as, you know, quarterback gets sorted out for them, they've got a really great track to, to a 12 and 0, 13 and 0 season. And even if they go 12 and one, they've got a, you know, depending on who that one is against, you know, for instance, if they lose by three against Florida state and then run the table the rest of the way with 12 straight wins, they're going to be the hot team to, to look at. And I, you know, I think the American champion will come through with at least one loss this year. I don't think any team is coming through that conference undefeated, you know, with that happening in the American, I think it's a great time for Boise state to swoop in looking at the other conference champions. We talked about, you know, like Ohio, I, I don't see Ohio really having having the juice, having the resume to, to swoop in and take that, especially since, as I was saying, I don't think anybody's coming out of that league with less than three losses. You know, and it's probably the same thing for the Sun. You know, the Sun Belt, you could have a one-loss team, but I think stacking up against other one-loss teams is never going to be in, in the Sun Belt's favor just because of what the conference schedule looks like. You know, that's pretty much the same thing with Conference USA, barring having, you know, having a Hawaii-like schedule where you're playing multiple Power 5 teams and a really good independent in your non-conference schedule. You really don't have much of a chance of swooping in and taking it away from the Mountain West or the American. And I think this is the, the Mountain West year. Yeah, barring like Florida Atlantic going undefeated, and that includes upsetting Ohio State. Uh, on the road, then maybe that changes things. But that's stuff like that's not actually going to happen. As fun as it would be to see something like that yeah. happen, chances are it's not going to. I think you brought up a good point about the Amer or about the Mountain West. Or no, you about the American beating up on each other because I think the same way about the Mountain West. I wouldn't be surprised if both the Mountain West and the American produced champions that had two or three losses just because those leagues are so deep. There's so many quality teams down the line in both leagues. We are talking about the American. We didn't even get into really uh, a team like Tulane or SMU or Temple. You know, really quality teams that on any, giving, on any given Saturday could pull an upset over one of the upper echelon teams in the conference. And we talked about the same thing in the Mountain West. So I wonder if that does open the door for a team like an Appalachian State, like an Ohio, that could maybe, you know, maybe not even run the table, but maybe win their league with one loss if they would be given priority over a two or three loss American or Mountain West champion? I, you know, I think the precedent that was set in 2014 with Boise State would really come into play there, where you had a one-loss Marshall team. All year, you saw Boise State consistently ahead of Marshall in, in those rankings and in that discussion, specifically because they were playing a much tougher schedule to get there. So I think if you have a two-loss American or Mountain West champion, they're going to have preeminence over a one-loss Sunbelt Conference USA MAC champion. I think for those leagues, you have to have a year like Western Michigan had in 2016, where they ran the table and were just absolutely dominant doing so, and then put up a good fight against Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl. You know, so we, you know, I think that's going to be the the kind of team that does it. I think Ohio, as good as they're going to be, I don't think they come through with fewer than two losses. I think if I'm being really generous, maybe they could make it out of that league with, you know, an 11-2 record. 
But I think that's not going to stack up against the American or, or Mountain West. I think Appalachian State might be the best bet for having an undefeated season. Their resume at the same time just doesn't stack up. I think you're going to have that same Marshall effect where they're like, who, who did you play to get here? Right. So, um, yeah, I think until further notice, it, it's probably those two leagues to lose. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I think the the committee will really be focused on the talent and the depth of the leagues, even if you have a team like a Cincinnati, Central Florida, Memphis, whoever in the American has two or three losses, or two or three loss Boise State or Fresno State or whoever out of the Mountain West really will and probably should take priority over some of the other leagues just because of the gauntlet of a schedule they're going through. Yeah. Uh, but there's some really quality group of five teams. And I really think that's what we're trying to convey to everyone out there as well as there's really some quality group of five teams this year. And there's quality group of five teams every year, but this race will be fascinating. And I urge everyone listening. Zach does a great job every week um, on the website, putting together his group of five rankings and kind of keeping everyone up to date on kind of who's leading the pack every week on uh, the potential new year six births. It's my, one of my very favorite things to read every week during the season. Um, he does a great job. So I urge you all to read that during the season and he'll be updating it all year long. Well, thanks for the shout out, John. Yeah, that comes out on Wednesdays uh, every week during the season. We'll be putting out the, the preseason power rankings here. Uh, looks like at the beginning of August. So definitely keep an eye out for those. And, um, yeah, you know, I think that, like you said, the overall thing to convey is that football is fun no matter what level you're looking at, and you can have some really compelling races no matter what level you're you're involved in loving. And the group of five is no exception to that. You know, even a conference like like the Sun Belt that's never been in the thick of the you know, the New Year's Six race before, never had a pipe dream in the BCS era, um, didn't even exist before that, you know, was really born out of sort of this new development toward conference significance um, in the BCS era and even dating back to the Bull Alliance and the Bull Coalition. In general, these are all beautiful races. And in the end, some of these teams are really... A solid bet to compete against Power 5 teams. You know, not every one of these teams is a little sister of the poor. And these schools do compete. There's a reason why you see somebody choose a two-loss team over a one-loss Marshall team, and that's because Boise State ended up beating Arizona. You know, the committee that's selecting this is selecting it for competitiveness as much as anything and putting a compelling TV product out there. That's what we have to remember in the end. And what's most compelling is the opportunity for one of these Cinderella's to break through and just really make some noise. So that's, you know, the essence of what we wanted to capture here this week and what I capture every week in the in the power rankings column that we look at. So, yeah, be sure to follow this race the rest of the season. And uh, also feel free to let us know who you think is going to win this races on Twitter and uh, let us know where you think we got it wrong. And any of these predictions definitely, you know, expose our bad takes in December. So um, for now, it's been tons of fun, John, as it is always every week. Thanks again. Absolutely. Always, always a blast. Love picking your brain on, on this kind of stuff. So, Oh, likewise. 
and uh, hopefully you all have enjoyed it out there as well. Uh, we'll be coming back at you again next week, Wednesday morning, as always. So uh, have yourself a great week as we get closer and closer to the college football season. Only uh, six weeks or so away. So uh, keep getting jazzed up.